Thank you for checking out the Performance Anxiety Podcast here on the Pantheon Podcast Network. I am your host, Mark. And never in the history of this podcast has a band's name been so apropos. Elia Bisker and Jeff Morris of Charming Disaster joined me. They were charming. I was the disaster. This is actually the second attempt at a podcast with the goth folk duo. The original recording vanished into the ether. And once you give Charming Disaster a listen, nothing could be more appropriate. They tell me about forming the band as a side project that quickly took over their other bands. How Elia actually ran away to join the circus at one point. Jeff talks about being in a band with a homeless man, how they bonded over dead cats, and how they've played it in some unusual venues like historic cemeteries and abandoned mines. They also tell me some of the interesting alternatives to the band name Charming Disaster. They've released a new concept album based on a graphic novel about Marie Curie. It's called Our Lady of Radium, and it's so unique, just like Charming Disaster themselves. Follow them on social media. They're pretty easy to find. And you can get the album on Bandcamp or their website, charmingdisaster.com, which also has all their social media links. You can help our podcast out with a rating, a review, and a follow at Performance ANX, or with some dollars through ko-fi.com slash performanceanxiety or performanceanx.threadless.com. And now, Charming Disaster, take two on the Pantheon Podcast Network. This is Elia. This is Jeff. From Charming, Charming Disaster. Disaster. And you're listening to Performance, Performance Anxiety. You can find our new album, Our Lady, Lady of Radio, in all the places you listen to your music. <laughs> I think I'm settled. Deep breath. <laughs> Here we go. All right. I believe I'm three minutes in. I believe I'm ready to go. All right. You guys are more prepared for this than I am, I feel like, right now. This is crazy. Well, we've done it once before. So. Yeah, we've already done that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, thank you guys for being awesome. I really do appreciate this. So... So there's no performance anxiety with this one since we've already done this once before. That's right. So you may even recognize some of the same questions. So, okay. <laughs> well, you'll see if we answer them yeah. the same way. I feel like a lot of water's gone under the bridge since we last spoke. Yeah. Well, the good thing is nobody will know because that one's just missing. It's gone. It's <laughs> in the ether somewhere. Uh uh, so what I like to do is to find out about uh, how you got into this whole music business thing that you guys are, are a part of. And I, I, so I like to find out from each of you. So these, the, the questions I ask are going to be for both of you to start with and then individually, I guess. And then we'll just combine everything once we get to that point. But before we do too much, you guys did just get back from a tour. We did. Yeah. How did how did that go? Was was it? Uh, were you playing the uh, the new album in its entirety, or is it kind of uh, bits and pieces? Bits and yeah. Pieces. Um, yeah, bits and pieces. We have we have a huge catalog at this point. Yeah. And um, you know, four four albums worth of material plus a bunch of plus other more. stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, stuff that's going to be on the next album, stuff that's, you know, oh, cool. on release or in singles. So um, we, we like to, we like to keep a lot of it kind of in production. Yeah. Um, 
Oh, that's awesome. So, to get to the tour, let's figure out how you got into music in the first place. Let's dive right into it. How how did you guys get into music in the first place? Jeff, you want to start? Sure. Um, oh, yeah, I guess I should have, uh, you know, asked one of you in particular. We can fight over it. It's <laughs> fine. <laughs> um, so, I started playing guitar at, like, you know, 13 years old, and... I eventually went to music school in Boston. I went to Berkeley College of Music for a year and a month, basically. Okay. Um, I went there to study ostensibly uh, film scoring, oh. um, but I got kind of disillusioned with the program there, and it wasn't really right for me at the time. I was like fresh out of high school, and this place was for a place where people were like honing their craft. There are a lot of session musicians or touring musicians who were just like wanted to take some classes at Berkeley to really like hone what they were doing. And I was just out of my feet and oh, I wow. just felt that way. And at the time it was very much a trade school and there wasn't a lot of, a lot of room for experimentation or doing some of the stuff that I was interested in. Oh, okay. So I left that and um, started playing music in Boston with a, with a guy who was uh, homeless. We had a, a band together and that was really interesting. It really helped me learn about music and how to play with other people and oh wow. you know it, it was pretty he was a very charismatic guy it's a very cool project um but then i moved back to new york because boston wasn't for me and uh i played in a couple bands and then eventually i started my my own band this large ensemble uh called coterino yes. which had up to nine other musicians in this band, which included horns and strings and back, background vocals. And we had a musical saw player. We had oh an accordionist at one point, very brief time. We had uh, tuba. And, you know, it was like this revolving cast of musicians. And through that, I really got to use like the small amount of musical music school education in learning how to write for for these different instruments and for these, you know, arranging these things. I had always thought that I would, you know, pass the, the songwriting and the singing tasks to somebody else eventually, but I wound up having very strong opinions about it. So <laughs> I, I started, I was just, and there was no one else to sing lead. So I was like, all right, I'm going to do this. And that was very helpful for me in my songwriting process. Um, but as, as you might imagine, uh, it, most of the process, most of my kind of generative creative focus was on music first and then kind of like what was inspired from the music, I would kind of derive lyrics from that and kind of work that way for the most part. So um, was music always the direction you wanted to go? As, as a, or yeah. was there a, an, a, a backup plan or anything, or was it just? No, there's no backup plan. <laughs> there's no backup. It was always something I was very interested. I always identified with being a musician, though, you know, that I, I still, which I still identify with being a musician, but like, I think my definition of musician has changed a lot over the years. Um, but I still feel very, very much firmly in that campus musician. And that's, you know, that's what I'm doing. Oh, all right. Excellent. Yeah. And so this gets us right up to the point where Ellie and I meet. So <laughs> I'm going to hand it off to Ellie. 
We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Without a healthy mind, being truly happy and at peace is hard. The good news is therapy works. But what is therapy exactly? It's whatever you want it to be. Maybe you're not feeling motivated right now and would like some tools to help. Or maybe you're feeling insecure in relationships or at work, not dealing well with the stress. Whatever you need, it's time to stop being ashamed of normal human struggles and start feeling better because you deserve to be happy. And now you don't have to worry about finding an in-person therapist near you to help. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Try doing that in person. So join the millions of people who are seeing what online therapy is really about. It's always a good time to invest in yourself because you are your greatest asset. And a special offer to Performance Anxiety listeners, you can get 10% off your first month of professional therapy at betterhelp.com slash performanceanxiety. That's betterhelp.com slash performance anxiety. Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this podcast. All right, Elliot, how about you? So how did you get into music and choose well, this as a, as a life? Well, so the moment that Jeff and I met, we were both band leaders and we bonded as band leaders. But I will, I will take it back to the beginning because it was very much an accident for me okay. how it sort of came to pass. Although, looking back, there were many, many red flags that I would probably turn out to be a musician. Um, I always wrote songs. I was always really musical and like went to, I went to like a, it wasn't like a Montessori school, but it was like a, you know, enrichment focused private school for a couple of years when I was young. Okay. And um, I, I did write a bunch of songs and sing them into a, like a set recorder mm-hmm. and the other kids in the class could like take the book and set out as like a library card kind of deal um, that I mean I couldn't have been more than like seven or eight years old so that was like an early red flag but I um I really identified as a writer um I always oh, okay. wrote poems and that was definitely my focus um, I took piano lessons as a kid I went to music camp one summer in my teens I was like I was not a serious I was not serious about it like I I could play piano okay but I wasn't like super gifted at it but um you know I had like a good musical sense and my parents were very into listening to music there was always music around from show tunes to folk and rock to R&B to you know all, all kinds of stuff so okay. I grew up kind of in that path of music but um but I got my performer chops as a as a slam poet in the in the 90s I wow. would I would go down to New York City and I would perform at open mics until they realized I was good and then they would offer me a feature which meant you got to keep like half the tips nice sweet and that was kind of my thing for a long time I I was an English major in college and I tried to write a novel and I I thought that was like the direction I was going in professionally and creatively oh wow Um, okay but then couple of things happened I started I I kind of accidentally started my first band um after I moved down to New York a few years after college accidentally um, started a band yeah well it started as like a sort of um photo booth project um a, a friend of mine and I started taking these like 
with photos in photo booths with wigs and kind of it became like a character kind of thing and okay. and and at a certain point we we're like oh, these two characters look like they ought to have a country band and then like one thing kind of led to another and like suddenly we had started a country band it was like all art school kids and me and um <laughs> and i wrote all the songs for for the country band um country songs are kind of easy like as far as like uh, tropes go right know? yeah take it um i didn't play an instrument though at the time so it was always me being like okay it goes like this and my very patient bandmate boyfriend would like play a chord on the guitar and be like no that's not it and you try again i'd be like no that's not it and you try again like, yeah that's the one i'm here <laughs> that band didn't last very long but it was it was very fun and theatrical i wore a wig and you know torn up vision. it was like it was like the whole thing okay and um, and after that band imploded, I was bereft because I had no way to make music anymore. And it turned out I really liked writing songs and I really liked singing and being in the front and like kind of calling the shots. <laughs> and um, somebody gave me a ukulele. It was kind of out of the blue. Um, then everything changed. Then everything changed. <laughs> I, was, I was in grad school at the time for arts administration. I was like, I'm going to have like a real career. Um, in arts management and um, and then this ukulele came into my life and I was like oh no oh. <laughs> I, what I actually want to do is be a performer um, wow. and that was in 2005 that I got the ukulele and um, and it's all been it's all been downhill since then <laughs> <laughs> um, but I started um, I started a band called Sweet Soubrette which started as just me and then kind of uh, grew exponentially, became a four piece. And then for a big show, I got some horns. And then it was like, ooh, can we keep them? And then it was like an eight piece keys and horns. And and so by the time I met Jeff, Sweet Soubrette had been around for like four, four or five years. Okay. And so we each were the band leader and front person songwriter for this kind of unwieldy, musically lush ensemble. Um, to be a vehicle for our songwriting. And so that was how I ended up in that bar that night. Yeah, that's how we met. So it, was it like an instant chemistry between the two of you, an instant kinship in the music? Yeah, well, we met at a bar, and um, my band was playing, and Elia was at the bar. Yeah, it was my... It was you my... had a few drinks? <laughs> One. I'm like... <laughs> So, um, yeah, I was just, I, it was my neighborhood bar. They always had good music. It's Bar Bez in Brooklyn. Everybody knows that's a place to go if you don't have anything happening just to see what's up in the back room. And it was Coterino. And um, I stuck around and just, I really liked Jeff's songwriting. There were a couple of songs in particular that just like, I felt like I got it. Like I, we were speaking the same language. And so I went up and started talking to them after the show, as you do when you're a band leader in New York. You're always mm -hmm. looking for somebody to like share a bill with or right. talk yeah. shop talk with. Shop. Or, yeah. yeah. Okay. And, and then one thing kind of led to another and all of a sudden. Yeah. I was, I was, I was excited to meet another band leader. I'm like, Oh, great. Yeah. We should, we, you know, maybe we could share a bill somewhere. And Elia was like, mm -hmm. you could do that. <laughs> um, but we should write songs together. Not yeah, Not a thing I had ever suggested to anybody else, much I, less somebody I just met. Wow. That was pretty cool. Oh, okay. And not, you know, not wanting to like be uncool, I'll be like, sure, yeah, we can we could do that. Let's okay, let's yeah. let's write some songs together. I had never written 
song with anybody. It's, it was really a mysterious process for me. It's still a very, mysterious process. Very right. private, <laughs> like at the time, lots of like pulling out hair and just like, oh God, how does this go? How How is this going to be a song? But yeah. But then we had a meeting soon after, and well, I saw Elliot's yeah. band. He came out and saw my band, and then he was like, "Oh yeah, I get it. Like yeah. we are kind of speaking the same language." Yeah. Okay. Um, and so the next day we had our first band meeting. Yeah. We got together. <laughs> nice. We made a list of song ideas, and we were like off the races. So is this after you were working for the circus? Yes. You always hear about people running off to join the circus, but you actually did work for a circus. I didn't come back. I'm still here. <laughs> um, yeah, I was so out of college. I was working in children's book publishing, which is a good path if you're a, you know, aspiring writer. And uh, I was volunteering for this kind of underground vaudevillian circus in um, that had gotten a theater space in Times Square. And um, when they asked me if I wanted to go on tour for a couple of months, I quit my job and I went. It was, it's like, it is the most, let me tell you, it is the most triumphant way to quit a job that you are ambivalent about because yeah. everybody there is like, we, like, even my boss is like, I can't be mad at you. Like, right, yeah. like you're leaving me to literally run away with the circus. Like it, it was like more tickled than like inconvenienced even. And, you know, and then everybody, you know, all the, like, every, everybody's like, congratulations. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you did it. You, you did, did it. it. You found the circus. <laughs> that would take you. I'm still looking for my <laughs> But I still work for them on and off. I mean, there's. Circus. Yeah, oh, once yeah. you've got not Simon and Schuster. I mean, I worked yeah. for Simon and Schuster on and off for a while too. But um, no, I, the Bindlestiff Family Circus um, is going strong, stronger than ever. And um, each of us still yeah, do things. We're all in its grasp. Once, once you get in, you don't get out. It's like the mafia. <laughs> the only way out is death. I went a little dark. Sorry. So, <laughs> I. But speaking of dark, I kind. I heard that Red lit, heard something. I don't know. I heard that you guys had kind of bonded over dead cat stories. Right. Right. That was during our first meeting. Okay. No, that's, no, so no, back to the first was- band meeting. Oh, wait, that sorry. was that was when he came out to see my band. Oh, that was the after cat. the show. Like oh, yeah. we went, we sat at the bar and ignored everybody, and we're like trading dead cat stories, just like As and it was do. kind of like what we do now. Yeah, but but it was like <laughs> when I say dead cat stories, I mean like black humor, like you know, like my our family cat had recently deceased, and I was relating the story by my mother sort of relating the story to me, which was, she, you know, which ends with like, well, your father wanted to just like put her in a garbage bag and leave her out by the curb. But like <laughs> I told him like, we couldn't tell you kids we've done that. And I was like, I think it's illegal. Like you have to like call somebody. And, and yeah. And, yeah. yeah my right. cat had died. So we were trading stories about that. Oh my God. Right. And then, so our subsequent meeting after that, the day after that, we, we made a list of topics of basically about, we, we knew we wanted to kind of inhabit characters because, you know, we didn't know each other too well. And this would be a way to kind of like, you know, inhabit some, some different narratives that 
you know, wasn't necessarily personal to oh, us. And we, yeah. we had projects to like express our feelings. That's right. So this needed to be something specific to kind of justify yeah. its existence. Yeah. Um, because we, you know, we were already each like kind of busy with our other band. Right. Right. Now that we've removed all of our feelings, we don't need those other things. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so true. <laughs> so how did you guys cope with the name Charming Disaster? We we kind of circled around it for some yeah, time. There we, was some research. We were there were, well first there was um Hindenburg, Hindenburg baby. baby. The Hindenburg. Oh, um and then we well, because you know, we, we talked really early on about a kind of not a matrix exactly, but kind of trying to thread a needle between a few different kind of aesthetic right. references. Okay. And one of them was kind of Americana, kind sure, of folky stuff. And one of them was like Tim Burton and Edward Gorey. And, yeah. and, but like we were, we were concerned with not being too like temporally specific. Like we didn't want to come across as like old timey specifically, although yeah. we certainly enjoy writing songs that are, you know, informed Inspired by, by that, yeah. that, you yeah. know, by historical stuff, um, but not exclusively. And so we didn't want to be like, oh, they seem like a 20s band. Right. Right. Exactly. Right. So Hindenburg Baby seemed a little too specific. And then we're like, well, like, what are some other disasters we can yeah. like check out? And there was like the General Slocum disaster, yeah. which was like a steamboat that like crashed and yeah, molasses wasn't what was the molasses disaster? Yeah, that's like another disaster. That's another disaster. <laughs> and that's where you came across. Well, <laughs> it was just looking up the general slogan disaster. Yeah. I found this website that I think was like a weird bot translation, but it had the phrase charming the disaster just to describe and 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 I went and I was like, ooh, charming, charming the disaster, charming disaster. Yeah. And it kind of it accomplishes a lot of things, right? Like it has the the kind of duality thing like it's mm -hmm. light it's dark sure. yes and it has a couple of meanings like you could say like it's a disaster that's charming or charming is the activity that you are doing in relation to a disaster like we're like charming summoning it or yeah, yeah ah, like interesting so, right like you are like seducing this disaster seducing yeah. <laughs> <laughs> catastrophe yeah <laughs> That's um, fascinating. So it, I like that. And it kind of fit with our aesthetic of like telling funny, tragic dead cat stories. Yeah. Like the day, yeah. you know, that, that early time we met. Um. <laughs> yeah. The, the great thing about the band is that, oh, it's just the band is the two of you. And the music does not sound like it's just two people. It's. Well, the recordings are not just two people frequently. Yeah. Okay, so that's because that... we have oh, we ahead. have a deep bench. We have a deep bench of collaborators from our other projects, and so yeah. we call on them when we go into the recording studio. Right. Okay, so that brings up a question: When you're writing music, you've got these people that you pull from to play. Are you thinking ahead about having to rearrange it to play it live as just a duo? And not <laughs> no, having a charming disaster on stage. No, not thinking about it at all. Yeah. It's just some some fun music yeah. acrobatics. Yeah, and That's awesome. It, it becomes so we so our process is well, however we come up with the lyrics, there's different ways and there's been different ways that we've kind of come up with it. But when it gets to the point when we're sitting together with the ukulele and the guitar and we're going back and forth, we're learning the song, we're kind of 
learning how to play it and what makes sense for us how to play it. Then that gets translated to possibly having a band play that and like how like a bass and drums would fit in and other instruments. Yeah, and it, start, yeah it, it starts with us and then we expand it and, and then we Then it comes it. back. So we have that kind of like broader, more instrumentalized version of it, more, you know, realized version of it. Oh. And then we, then, you know, we pull it back like, okay, now it's just us. We have to play that in front of people. Right. How are we going to do well, it? Well, we, again, it's like the original version of that song did not have a trumpet solo, but like now that there's a trumpet solo on the recording and it's so perfect, like, well, I guess I learned the trumpet solo on kazoo and like, that's what I play on kazoo every yeah. time. Like, that is awesome. Yeah. So I, so I, I have a kazoo that gets pulled out. Yeah. for certain songs. So we basically do cover versions of our <laughs> album song. <laughs> We're like covering oh. it as a goth folk duo. Yeah, that's oh, that is awesome. I love it. I've, that's the best way to describe that. I've that's perfect. And, and no one's complained yet. <laughs> no one's been like, "Hey, where are the drums?" Yeah. <laughs> or where's the yeah? Or or, or they see you live and you're like, and that nobody's ever like, "Where's the goddamn kazoo on yeah. the recording?" <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, but you know. The magnetic fields have always been really interesting in their mm -hmm. differing approaches to recorded and live music. Like Stephen Merritt rarely attempts to like replicate an album sound in a live concert. It's really a different animal. And yeah. it makes it really interesting to see the live shows because yeah. you're like, well, I love these songs recorded with like a sequencer and a drum machine or whatever, or an orchestra or like whatever the heck you did that time. Right. Um, and oh, like I see, it's like it's like a cello and a ukulele and a couple of singers. Like, okay, cool. And it also gives us the kind of the option if we're doing a special show, like oh, this song has got strings on it. We can pull some string players. Pull and, some strings. Hey, you even notice that? That's good. <laughs> we pull in some string players to play to make it like a more, you know, a fancy special show. Fancy, you know. Okay, so all right, so that that's really cool. And so, you guys strip the songs down, play cover versions of your own, but you also <laughs> have the option. And since you guys work with so many talented people, you can pull in these these extraordinary players and create a, a much larger version live. We can, but it's rare that we do because the whole reason why we started the band because it's so heartbreakingly difficult to schedule yeah. rehearsals with lots of people in New York City much less yeah. get everybody committed to the gig date. So yeah. um, it's like a once a year, yeah. once every 18 months. Kind of wow. <laughs> so it's very special. Very, very special. special. One of the things that I liked about going back and listening to the other albums was that you, you have a lot of unusual song topics. Oh. Unusual. Yeah. Well, knife thrower, for example. Her, that... her perfectly normal subject yeah. for a song. <laughs> <laughs> the ritual's the same almost every night You strap me to the board And pull the blindfold tight I know you're there So I know it's gonna be alright As I start to spin I feel my heart ignite You guys seem to do a lot of research in writing, and then when it comes to arranging, 
another unique thing about the band is that each song it seems to be written for two voices. It's not like one one of you is just there to harmonize for a song or or vice versa. You know, it's it's the each song is written specifically to have both of you singing a lead on it. Yes, because we're two band leaders. Yeah. <laughs> No, I mean, that was that was one of our original, very specific goals for this project was that we wanted to write songs for two voices, both narratively and musically, um, because harmonizing is so much fun. But we also we like to do a lot of like counterpoint and singing different things at the mm-hmm. same time. And you know, telling different sides of the same story or like the, it's not just that we're seeing different things, but like the lyrical content of what we're singing is like opposite right. stories. Like, <laughs> yes, that's very true. Yeah. And that comes from just being two people and to want to maximize the kind of, you know, the content and like how we can use the duality of this project to in, in all aspects, whether it's musically thematically, lyrically, you know, kind of like rhythmically slash melodically, you know, it's, it's really, it yeah. opens up a lot of things for us. Okay. So we mentioned Knife Thrower, which is a great example of that. Radium Girls, another fantastic example. And it's kind of like both your voices are dancing around each other. And I, I absolutely love that. I don't hear that a lot in a lot of music lately. And it's, it's very unique. And it's very beautiful. And I, I really appreciate the, the effort that you guys do because it can't be easy to do that. Cause, and like I mentioned, you're doing it on every song. It's got to take a, a lot of work for a, two band leaders in a band of two to get that to work <laughs> out. It's, it's kind of, I mean... It's part of the fun of that's, it. That's, yeah. that's, that's, what we what like we, that's what we like to do. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Hey guys, I want to talk to you about socks for a second. Why not? It's a music podcast. But I tried a pair of socks from Boldfoot and loved them. I've only worn them once because my kids have stolen them. So in my household, that's the best endorsement I can give. And I guess it's fitting because the design I chose was Jailbait. Wait, Jailbird. The design I chose was Jailbird. I might keep that in. The socks are 100% American made and 5% of all proceeds go to veteran charities. It makes sense seeing that Boldfoot is a family and veteran owned company. They have a huge variety of styles. So check out boldfoot.com and buy some of the best socks you've ever slapped on your feet and help veterans while you're at it. That's boldfoot.com. So are all songs written collaboratively then? Or are you one, is somebody coming in with an idea and saying, this is how I want it to go? Um, yes and yes. Okay. Um, all the songs are written collaboratively. Most of the time it starts with somebody has an idea and then we, we develop mm-hmm. it together. But when we first started working together, it was more like a game of tele- uh, not telephone, but like an exquisite corpse where like one person would write something and then hand it off to the other person, like, like a relay race. Yeah. Oh, cool. Um, and so songs that were written that way include Ghost Story, Ocean City, Murderer, Knife Thrower. It was like the most exciting thing to send off, you know, your like voice memo recording of the verse that you just wrote yeah. and then get back the response in, in an email. I mean, like, I remember so vividly listening to one of those yeah, things that you sent me like for the first time. 
is still the moon a yellow fingernail it smells like gin beneath the junipers a scraping sound shovel in the muddy ground i hope you thought to bring a change of shoes listen dear we have a situation here Someone's picking up what we put down Oh my word, I got it from a little bird It might be better if we're not around Murderer, what you gonna do? I'm a almost now that we've been yeah. working together our process has evolved a lot yeah yeah it's no longer fun <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's become easier for us to inhabit that kind of place of flow and uncertainty at the, yeah, same, time. At the same time so there's a lot of side-by-side -side writing oh, yeah. um, which can only come after being very comfortable with a person exactly exactly you know, trust yeah I mean I mean like I'm not the kind of person who likes to show off unfinished work to anybody like I really like to like tie it up in a bow and be like ta-da it's perfect right um, so to be like in the mess of it with another person is like a really yeah, experience and sometimes one of us has like a, a seed of an idea that we can flesh out together sometimes it's a more developed thing but like in the arranging of it for us to do it like it always becomes ours like yeah like there are a handful of songs where like it was you could say it was mostly written before it became a turning disaster song but like then we inhabited it so much as a duo that you know it, it became ours yeah. okay and even even the arrangements and the like say okay. a string arrangements or something those are very collaborative too well there you know well an idea will be kind of maybe posited and then There'll be lots of back and forth, very, very specific. Oh my God. Yeah. Very, we're like staring at Sibelius together and I'm like, okay, like this one needs to be like twice as long. Yeah. And then like, okay, <laughs> we're going to like do a, whatever, a thing here. But like, I, I don't even know how we do the string arrangement yeah, together. I don't, I don't like it's been a, it's been a minute since we did one of those, yeah. but we've done like six string arrangements together like that. Like that. Oh, wow. Yeah. When you, when you look at the list of instruments you guys play and listen to the, the the music it's oh crap I, what, what the hell did i just do <laughs> i tried to, i just tried to move myself off of jeff's face and i suddenly showed up my my, oh, <laughs> my, better. my flashlight just popped up for some reason i don't know what the <laughs> hell's going on but without even hearing the songs if you look at the list of instruments and things you may think that the charming disaster is kind of folky but you guys have some pretty heavy tracks, like like, like Selena and Endymion, Ragnarok. World tree tremble, shake at the root. Fall before the moment when our bills come due. Cross your fingers for fire and flood. The Valkyries are rushing through the battlefields of 
pretty heavy, distorted tunes, man. Those are great songs. Not, hey. not what you would expect when you see, you know, like, was I was just looking at one, just a minute, the Glockenspiel or something, and uh, ukulele. Not yeah, a, like that. Yeah, Jeff got me a t-shirt that says Glockstar. Oh, that is awesome. Yeah. She is. It's true. <laughs> so you're not always thinking in terms of just playing something folky or using just folk type of sounds in in when when you're writing. It's you, you guys have a wide range of sounds that you pull from. Yeah, I mean like we're we're inspired by a wide music that that comes through in our own music. Yeah, and I think the folk moniker just comes because it's a shorthand for two people in a band with yeah. there's with, a alien guitar. Yeah, and like and our songs tell stories and right, like that's you know Yeah. But yes, we're not like folky folky. Yeah. Right. And I mean you're like you're saying your influences shine through in some of the songs you've covered, like immigrant song. That and that is such a cool cover. I I listen to that <laughs> so many times. That is so oh, great. Okay. That cover was kind of inspired by Cat Powers covers album, actually. The way oh, really? that she deals with with uh, the Rolling Stones Satisfaction, Satisfaction oh, where it's cool. like really like creepy and low key, and she leaves out entirely the most iconic part of the song, uh, which is like the riff and the chorus. Um, um, I'm not familiar with that. I'm gonna have to go back and listen to that. Cool. It's really cool. Yeah. The new album is Our Lady of Radium. Yeah, Our Lady of Radium. It, it is so good. Now, did you guys write that during the pandemic or was that written beforehand and just delayed? It was written beforehand in 2017. Wow. We had an artist residency and um we we did all, all this. I mean, you mentioned research earlier. Like we're huge nerds, and we like to really do a deep dive. And um, you know, like often it's research based, and Our Lady of Radiance is definitely research based. Sometimes it's more just like talking endlessly about like what are the motivations of these characters, right? What's going on behind okay. the like, story? You, like you talk about people talk about novelists having like characters who have like whole backstories that like don't even make it to the novel, and we. We think about that a lot in our songs as well, and particularly on this album, that like the borders of the story extend far beyond the borders of the album. That yeah. there's there's more going on than like the sort of peephole that you get to see in the song or, or in the album. Yeah. Um, yeah. And our Lady Radium is like that partly because it's it's inspired by by a true story and like how do you capture somebody's life and work in nine short songs? Right. Yeah, you can just get sort of fragments of it. Well, that's one of the cool things. So first of all, the subject matter is a little different. Marie Curie, I think (laughs) this is the first uh, uh, concept album uh, written about her. So I think that's awesome. 
Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, yeah. other people have written like plays and musicals even. Mm-hmm. And, um, and yeah, Netflix series. There, Netflix, there's a wonderful graphic novel. There's a film adaptation of the graphic novel. Like, like she's definitely inspired a lot of creative people to make work. But, uh, but yes, I think ours is the only concept album so far. <laughs> so how did you decide on her as the subject matter for an entire album? Well, there was this uh, wonderful, there is this wonderful graphic novel by Lauren Redness called Radioactive. Okay. And it's this beautiful story of, you know, it tells the story of Marie Curie's life and work, but it's, it, and also the, you know, the other implications of her work, the kind of far-reaching implications of her work and the history of kind of some of the subjects in her work. Okay. And... It is beautifully done, and it's kind of done in a nonlinear style, and it it highlights a lot of the drama that was that was kind of going on in Carrie's life. Yeah, her story includes so many, so many besides winning two Nobel prizes um, and discovering a new chemical element, discovering a chemical <laughs> element, and how that was discovered. It was you know, there's references to. Mountain dwarves. There's duels. There's seances. There's scandal, you know, scandal, tragedy, tragedy, romance. Yeah. So it's got everything. That that's one of the the great things I love about this album is that it, it's not just about it's not sciencey. Science. <laughs> yeah, it's not science. a little bit sciencey, right? But you don't just focus on that. It's sciencey enough for us to have been able to connect with science though through the album which has been so exciting yeah. for us to have people like connect with our music because they're like you know they're like a female physicist and so like curie is like really immediate for them yeah um, or or just because they're like a person in science and yeah. you know so that that has been a kind of unexpected bonus feature of this mm-hmm. album release for us is connecting with stem people through it, yeah, which is really cool. But there's also romance in in, in the yeah. album, so I love that. Magic. And magic, and there's so much <laughs> you can directly relate to, yeah. you know, as opposed to just a chemical element. I mean, and that too, the way we try to, even when we're talking the most sciencey part of it, it's like we're evoking all the kind of symbolism that's involved with it also, to kind of like, you can really like sink your teeth in this oh. story. Yeah, it's okay. For example, forces of nature. It's kind of a great example of science meeting romance. Yeah. It must be a beautiful thing, a thing that I dare not conceive to be hypnotized by our dreams and work side by side. We would have all we need. Ride our bicycles down to the sea. But I think my favorite on the album is Radium Girls. Uh, and one of the things I really like about it is, first of all, the, the vocals are absolutely beautiful. But I also love how the drums mimic the clock or the, or the watch. I think yeah. that's, that's just, 
just a subtle little touch that I think just really makes the whole song. Moisten the brush with the tip of your tongue. A delicate touch for the lines that you're painting. Second hand sweeps round the face of the clock. You number the hours and they glow in the real plot there is also a real plot wow oh my god that's awesome that is now that makes it even better we we didn't plan for that but um we were we recorded these tracks at my parents house during the pandemic they were out of town they they have a summer place and they were kind of holed up at the summer place and so um when it was clear that our original plan to record other songs in a studio with other musicians was not going to be possible in 2020, yeah. um, we bought a couple of nice mics and we kind of we holed up at my parents' house to make recordings ourselves with two microphones, the piano I took lessons on as a kid, oh, just wow. a drum kid, and a bunch of pots and pans and other box yeah. percussion. Clock in the clock. <laughs> yeah, we can't forget that. <laughs> so we were. We were in the we were recording in the den because like it had kind of the least amount of reverb house. There's carpet, there's a lot of books and birds and stuff. Yeah. Um, but there was this clock that was like insanely loud. And so we had to like remove the clock from the room and like, you know, take the battery out. <laughs> but then we were like, oh no, we have to have the clock be on right. radio. Yeah, and we knew, I mean, when we were determining what tempo radio drove, I remember we were like, oh, we need to make it some multiple of 60 because 60 beats per minute makes a you know it's once a second one per second yeah and you know this one is in it's 120 beats per minute but it's in three four so that kind of gives like the the clicks happen on the on beat or the and the off beats you know kind of they alternate so the kind of dances in that in that time signature that it's, is it's awesome. straight, but the time signature is in the three four, so it kind of that juxtaposition of those two things makes for a nice rhythm. But we recorded it like it's yeah. like it's a continuous recording. Yeah, it's the, just we threw the, the ticking clock. We just we like recorded it for a yeah. long time, and then we you know we lined it up. <laughs> wow, that is really cool. Oh man, I love it. See, the more you tell me about this, the more I love it. <laughs> so, but you, you've got a, a, another one of my favorites, a, a glow about her. Did you hear about the sort of Didn't have a legacy. They think no one would try to say had no discretion. It was right under the that's another that's just a sweet song i it's just it's another science meets romance and it's just i don't know i i really really am enjoying listening to this album and 
did you guys, you mentioned that you do a lot of research for, the, for these albums. Did you discover anything about Marie Curie that you didn't know or something that was maybe surprised you? Oh my God, so many so things. Much. And yeah. so many things that never made it onto the album even. Oh, really? Yeah. So for example, so so a glow about her is based on the, so, so her husband, who is her, Pierre, who is her collaborator, her partner, not just her life partner, but her lab partner, yeah. um, dies tragically crossing the street one day in Paris, raining in his crushed wine on coming carriage, dies instantly, and Ooh. she is in, like, deep, deep mourning. And a few years late, and all of her friends are, like, worried about her, about her, like, yeah, so she falls in love again. She, like, comes to dinner one night at her friend's house, the Borels, and, like, in one of their letters, it says, you know, she had a, a flower at her. She was wearing, like, a flower from her waist, and she had a certain glow about her. her. <laughs> uh, because she was in love. But the man that she was in love with was a married colleague. And when his wife was very unhappily married, and when his wife found out, she exposed them to the press and an international scandal ensued that threatened not only Marie's career, but her life. I mean, it was so the part of that song where she says, I have done nothing that should cause my work to be diminished. Like that's a quote from Curie herself. Oh, wow. Um, like it made headlines in like the New York Times and the LA Times, like like a- around the world, people were, I mean, and she was a very private person. So this was like, yeah, you devastating. know, devastating. Oh, wow. yeah. The relationship did not survive the scandal, um, but she did. But this, right around the same time, she was awarded her second Nobel Prize, which is unprecedented. And the Nobel Committee in Sweden, they're like, yeah, maybe you shouldn't come. To the, to the yeah, ceremony. The scandal is wow. a little too much, yeah, a little too hot for us. Yeah, like maybe don't come. And she and she defiantly she she yeah. went. She oh, showed awesome! Up yeah. yeah, she was. But you know, I mean, it like it took a toll on her afterwards. Oh, she, she was so that's yeah. that's one of that's just one of the many things we could talk to you about yeah. at great length regarding Curie <laughs> and her life. I didn't even talk about the x-ray trucks. I know, it is so much. And you know, a lot of the a lot of the lyrics actually come from either direct quotes from the research that we've done, whether it's from her letters or, you know, from her daughters writing about her. Or things that Pierre or wrote. Or Pierre wrote. Or oh, so, wow. So a glow about her has some of those. Oh, that is amazing. God. <laughs> Jeez, it just makes me like this album even more. <laughs> when you go to play this live, and we, we mentioned you did just come back from a tour, are there any plans to do an entire show of Our Lady of Radium? Oh yeah, yes, indeed. Oh, we wonderful. we did. Yeah, we did. We did our album release in March, where we performed the whole album in its entirety with kind of enhanced 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 things that <laughs> we didn't have a, a band with us but we we kind of did some other things to kind of you know make it even more special we had video projections kind of giving some context to the songs we had a little interstitial dialogue where we mm-hmm. explain what was happening contextualized um, yeah there's lighting design that helped kind of define the songs from one mm-hmm. to another and of course i had the blockage feel Nice. <laughs> uh, anytime you can pull out the glockenspiel, I'm in. 
watch out. Yeah. Yeah, but just one mallet, because you know, and I gotta switch back and forth between like the ukulele and then like grabbing the mallet and like whacking, whacking the, the glockenspiel and then like going back to the ukulele. There's a lot of choreography. Are you planning on going out again in the near future on tour? Or are you writing at this point? You working on a, a, a new project? Uh, yes, all of the above. All yes. of the above. Awesome. Yeah, everything happens all at once here. All at the time. Everything all at once, all the time. Isn't that a yeah. movie or so something? Yeah, and it's it really is. good. You should see it. Yeah, it's I really want good. to. So uh, it, we've got some dates coming up in June. Um, we're going to be in New England. We're going to be in uh, West Stockbridge on the 10th. We're going to be in New Bedford on the 11th. And we're going to be in Somerville in Boston on the 12th. Um, and then we have um, a couple other shows in uh, Pennsylvania, yeah. Reading, Reading, Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania. Oh, nice. and uh, and Rosendale, New York, where we're, we will be playing in a mine, an actual um, wow. a, a cement mine in upstate New York. A where we mine. It'll be yeah, our second like, show in the mine. Yeah, we've played the mine before. Yeah, really. It's pretty- yeah, it's yeah. pretty cool. What's cool? What's coolest about it is that um, back when it was a working mine, they would pump all the water out of it, and now they don't do that anymore. And so there's this huge, like, subterranean lake right behind where the stage is, where you play. And like the whole time we're playing, I'm just imagining some like huge tentacle like coming out of the water. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hopefully that won't happen. This time. Yeah. So far, so good. Well, you guys have played some interesting places. Okay, so besides the mine. You know, you played festivals, bars and clubs, but you've played museums, art galleries, bookstores, the occasional historic cemetery. That's yeah, true. Sure. Is, is that because of the nature of the band, the, the, the subject matter, or the, the instrumentation, the sound of the band, or is, are you searching yeah, this stuff out, or is uh, it coming to you? Both. Oh, yeah. nice. It's both. And like, and you know, because of our like circus groups as well, like, we kind of straddle the line between rock and roll bands and like variety artists, yeah. while like vaudeville variety artists. Okay. So we, you know, and and, and like the subject matter of our songs also kind of put that in that in that intersecting and, space. Yeah, and our kind of performative, you know, kind of exposition of yeah, the we're, music. We're hammy. We're hammy. <laughs> and yeah, we we played puppet theaters. We played a library theaters. soon. Yeah, we've got a library show this week. Yeah, and oh, man. it's a really great band to be in because we can just play <laughs> almost anywhere. It's, it's true. Like we can, a, we've got our own little PA, and so we can kind of roll in and do it do yeah. our show practically anywhere. We, we'll play like your space telescope, or sure. Do you have like an abandoned rail car or hot air hot air balloon submarine mausoleum Ooh. mausoleum? Yeah, I mean, we need like an electrical outlet. Oh, that's all. It. That's it. That we like, can take care of that. Balloon. We'll yeah. do an acoustic in the yeah, mind. We'll so. Oh, nice. And then the really nice. Yeah. <laughs> well, I love the album. I love the versatility of the band. I mean, the, the variety of sounds for anything from, you know, Bad Luck, Hard Rock to uh, String Break song. Is that the String Break song? String yes. Break song. Chaos is gonna win in the end. The universe is flying apart. There ain't nothing much you can do about it. Burn up the candle or live in the dark. Burn up the candle or live in the dark. Burn up the candle or live in the dark. Burn up the candle or live in the dark. 
I mean, that there's quite a, a <laughs> difference in sound in those. And that's one of the things that I love about the band is that you guys can just sound so different from song to song. And it's, it, I love it. Well, I think that we should probably give some credit to our um, recording engineer yeah. with whom we've collaborated for many years, Don Godwin, who is, he's track he's mixed all of our stuff. Um, we tracked some stuff ourselves, but we've mostly worked with Don. Yeah. And okay. um, over many years of working together, we he's kind of like the, the secret third band member. Like he's played on a lot, on a lot of the, the yes. tracks. Like oh, he's cool. like a crazy multi-instrumentalist so like there are songs where we've got Don on drums and bass and horns yeah. um, wow. like he's versatile and we we have developed a really shorthand with Don where we're like you know we wanted to sell, like you know that one song by Weezer like like that's kind of what I'm <laughs> imagining for yeah. for string break song and he's like oh yeah no I totally get where you're coming from and that that like gives him the information he needs to like choose sounds for the mm-hmm. you know for the for the guitars and oh. for the, for yeah, the, the production yeah so yeah. the the production is a very collaborative process um with somebody who's really skilled and really like yeah. gets us i wasn't expecting weezer to make an appearance in this podcast so <laughs> <laughs> well where can people find them how can they pick it up how can they listen to it and how can they follow you to get some tour dates in some really wild venues oh well it's really easy people can find us at charmingdisaster.com where all of our show dates are listed you can find us on social media charming disaster band on instagram our music on Bandcamp, our music on spotify our music on all the things where you would expect music mm-hmm. to be um the only place to get our physical merch is on Bandcamp. um we ship that out ourselves so awesome. you get a t-shirt or a vinyl record or one of the few remaining Our Lady of Radiant lyric books, like know that we packed it with our own hands. Me, it's my hand. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm merch I'm the merch department, Not just yet. the art department. We have some different, you know, hats that we wear. Oh um, but yeah, we're we're easy to find. We're on mm-hmm. all the things and you can always go to charmingdisaster.com to find all the other Oh, awesome. Well, thank you so much. I really do appreciate the do-over. Oh, <laughs> it's our, our pleasure. pleasure. And, um, I can't remember even what the last one was like, except that like it was enjoyable. So. Yeah, I remember. sister from under the earth you send up your gifts unloosed from the mouth of a half-buried jar mysterious ills omens and signals all over the city all over the world invisible lightning a furious wind a rain of dead birds Save us from secrets you have unlocked.